Hello, my name is Alan Swan and welcome to The Outer View, a show all about the art of media interviewing on RTE Radio 1 Extra. Now, our episode today is with the journalist Jim Carroll, who's a journalist with the Irish Times. He does the On The Record blog. He's a music journalist, so he's in the paper all the time. And he talks about music uh, in general and music business as well. Uh, he also uh, produces and presents uh, This Is Banter, which is a whole load of live um, interview showcases uh, and debates. And it's really interesting. So if you go to theinterview.com, you'll see all the links there and you can click away to go to a live This Is Banter. Um, or you can uh, check out the links to his work in the Irish Times. Um, so we did the interview in Dublin City Centre, uh, just off St. Stephen's Green, which is like a main kind of shopping area in Dublin City, uh, in a place called Dawson Street. And we went to a brilliant um, a bar, which I found through a friend of a friend of another friend. And it's a beautiful, beautiful place called Peruke and Periwig. Um, you can find out more at Peruke, P-E-R-U-K-E. I'll probably pronounce that wrong. P E R. UKE.ie. It's number 31 Dawson Street in Dublin too. The most amazing building ever. It's like something of a Sherlock Holmes um, um, uh, story. A very kind of old Victorian kind of inside. They do amazing cocktails by all account. It was during the day so I didn't get to sample any. I had a coffee. Um, so anyway, myself and Jim had our chats. Um, what I love about Jim is uh, he doesn't hold back. He's got his opinions, he sticks to them and he's got some great advice all about the art of interviewing. Now, uh, during this interview, you'll notice some of the mistakes that you can make as an interviewer um, by uh, choosing sometimes a time to do the interview when they're doing roadworks outside. It's only for about two minutes, but you'll notice it during it. So anyway, um, here is my conversation with Jim Carroll from the Irish Times, the interview, episode nine. Uh, the first question, actually, I asked Jim was all about the word curiosity. It seems to come up an awful lot on this podcast. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's, it's something I've seen when people talk about, you know, d- d- good interviews, when people talk about good discussion things, that the, 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 curiosity, the curiosity gene, you know. And like, I mean, I, I know myself that when it comes to preparing for interviews, like the reason why you do these interviews is because you're curious about someone. And it might, might only be one or two aspects of the life you're actually curious about. And you do the rest of the interview in order to get around to that. And like, it, it's just one of those things. When we were kids, we were curious. That's how we explored the world. That's why we went into, went into the world. That's why we went into the woods a mile down the road. We wanted to see what was in there, you know. And you don't, you never lose that sense of curiosity. Yeah. I also think listeners as well are curious because, you know, like you know, we were talking there before we expressed your court about the fact that people are going more for kind of like long form, long form podcasts, long form pieces of radio because you know they, they, it allows you to delve deeper into these things. And there's there was a kind of a, a report recently on NPR, and they were looking. It's I can't remember where it was. It it was a report about like what's going on in, in, at the NPR stations at the moment. And the thing is like you know. They have kind of established this formula, and the thing with all formulas is that it's good for a while. I mean, they've got the like, I mean, there are various radio shows we all know about serial being kind of like being huge, but like, I mean, there's certain ones, certain number of their shows, and they have a template and a formula, and they, they follow to the nth degree. The problem with that is it becomes boring, you know. It really, like, I mean, you, you're kind of like you get tired of the slightly quirky, kind of like in the like semi ironic tone to what, what, what you're hearing, and you want more. And I think like what's happened is that with podcasts, definitely with this current wave of podcasts, it's become a case of people are people are 
are, are quite happy to delve in because they, they trust the instincts of the podcaster. Yeah, and, and algorithms will only take you so far. Oh, God, algorithms. I want to I interview an algorithm. I, 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 do, I, I do the uh, conference side of Hard Work at Class Heroes, the music conference in Dublin in the fall and in the autumn. In the fall? Jeez, I spent too long in the States. In the autumn. And uh, we, 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 I definitely want to do an interview with an algorithm because I'm fascinated by algorithms. I, like, you know, but at the same time, algorithms do, they run out of steam. One of the, my favourite algorithms is the one behind Spotify's Discover Weekly playlist. So I've been kind of like, since, la- since the middle of last year, I've been like a real champion of that. But then I've realised the last couple of weeks, what is throwing up is the same music it threw up to me in November and December. So it's running out of steam. Yeah, absolutely. And on top of that... So, sorry to interrupt the podcast interview. At this stage of the interview, somehow my mic decides to calve and go nuts. So, uh, we fix the problem and we get straight back into the interview. And I ask Jim, does he remember his first interview? Yes, I do. It was with Dave Fanning. It was with Dave Fanning and Ian Wilson kind of copped into the, copped into the interview as well. It was in the RT Radio Studios in late 86. It was a two-hander. It was me and Siobhan Cronin. Siobhan currently works for the Southern Star in Skibbereen. And we were doing it for a school magazine, a, a, a college magazine. We were both students at the College of Commerce in Ratmines, as was then. It's now DIT. We were doing the journalism course there. And the um, student magazine, I think, was called Metro. I think all student magazines by law have to be called Metro. And uh, we interviewed Dave Fanning and uh, Ian Wilson uh, popped in as well. And I remember I transcribed the interview. It was the very first time I ever transcribed an interview. It ran to thousands of words. Remember as well, we didn't have a computer back then, so I was transcribing it longhand. And uh, it ran through thousands of words. It took days, you know, out of all the people to do your first interview with. He's, uh, he was actually our first guest on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. And he is still the longest podcast that we've done. <laughs> <laughs> so even, even after all these years, he has continued in the same vein. Yeah, but like, you know, he, but like he, he can get across so much information. I mean, people often go on about the like, fact that I talk fast, but I don't talk as fast as, as, as Dave does. Dave talks way faster than I do. And Dave has this amazing ability and something I've kind of noticed through the years as well, that like sometimes when you talk fast, you're doing it for a reason. One of the reasons you're doing it is because you're trying to get the tread. You're trying, trying to pull the tread through on on, on the question you're trying to pull the tread through on the line of thought you've got and it's, it's, it's a fascinating way of doing it and he does it effortlessly like it's very funny I, I, I don't know whether this is a diktat being sent down on high by RTE but I've only ever been on a radio programme with Dave once and that was that was uh, on when Anya Anya Lawler was standing in for Marion Finucane on the Sunday show and uh, we were talking about Bruce Springsteen and that's the only time me and him have been on the same radio show I think it's, it's quite funny I just think this, the speed of two people uh, is, is, is too much for re- listeners to cope with especially at that time in the morning They're afraid that maybe the the, the, uh, the technology mightn't be able to cope <laughs> with, with the speed and the but he's, but he's on fire But you also got to remember as well Alan like you know like aside from being kind of like a, a, a musical kind kind of like I mean signposts for many people he was also probably the first person I heard doing kind of like long form interviews with, with acts I mean there was him and there was BP Fallon BP was always more idiosyncratic with the BP Fallon orchestra on a Saturday night you got the feeling that he was assigned the studio spark and went up with the band whereas with Dave it's like you know the band were, the band were in there and often like I mean they, they, they don't do those kind of like longer interviews anymore he'd been through people like New Order he also been to U2 he was in, and he'd interview people like Wedding Presents and it was a couple of years later I was working with the Wedding Presents when they toured Ireland and like the first stop when got off the ferry was into the studio with Dave Fanning I was interested to see how he did it like you know it was an hour it was, it was an hour long he was getting right tr- getting right to the detail get right to the bottom of the band you know yeah. it was it was quite in depth and like that for that kind of form or that kind of kind of radio that kind of interview is kind of it seems to have fallen out of favour with radio programmers I mean I listen, I listen to radio the radio DJs now interview musicians jeez it's, it's awful it's, it's target stuff but that's not the, that's not the band's fault and it's not the DJ's fault that's it's the just the way it's the, yeah, it's the way it's the way the whole thing has, has changed there isn't the time to 
kind of like delve into something. And in many cases, well, like you said, a PR machine means that bands aren't prepared to be interesting, not prepared to talk about the interesting shit. You know, they just aren't, and they don't have the time to do, it, and they can just kind of mutter and kind of like me be self-deprecating to get away with that. Because it brings us back, and again, just going back to one of the things that Dave Fanning had said in his interview on the podcast, but having a conversation that ultimately he's trying to have a conversation with the people that he's talking to, and that can be very difficult when you have to tick the boxes of certain requirements for the organisation that you're working for because if you are been sent over or flown somewhere you have to justify the spend of it and so on and so on the word conversation comes up an awful lot in these podcasts as well is that the ultimate aim? Yeah, it's the ultimate. I suppose you've got to divide, like, you know, what, what I do as an interviewer into two. There's, the, like, you know, like, I, I've done an interview a day this week and they're all phone interviews and they're for the paper, uh, for the Irish Times. Like, you, you're talking to someone on the phone, they've got an album out, they're promoting the album. You, you, there's, a certain, like, you know, there's a certain list of questions you, you, you're going through and you're always listening out for that kind of, like, moment when they kind of, like, go, go, go towards a ditch. And when they go towards a ditch, you follow them and you push them and you keep on going with them. That's, that's grand. Then I do the banter interviews and they're always... With the exception of stuff we did at the Web Summit last year, they're always public interviews, and that they're fascinating. Like the psychology of those interviews is absolutely fascinating because in many cases you will have someone who may be in town for the day, and he will have, he or she will have done a lot of promo all day. And like in those promo situation like this, you're sitting you're sitting across from someone at a table on, on a nice bar or a hotel lobby or wherever, and there's no audience around. And then at the end of the day, they come into banter, and there's an audience there, and the audience is there to see they're they're, they're fans of who you're speaking to, but they also want entertainment, you know. And there's an energy, and I, I've seen it so many times. With someone, they may be tired, they may be jaded, they may have spent the day answering the same bloody questions over and over again. They walk into a room with an audience and it's energised. It's like, it's, like, it's like a double espresso straight away. Yeah. And like the, the psychology of what happens then is fascinating. Most people, like you know, you, and you know this as well as an interview, you, you develop tricks as well to kind of like, get, to coax the conversation out of the, out of the person you're talking to. And conversations, conversations are the right word. There's, there's a word which has kind of crept into the infine lexicon which I despise, I abhor, I detest, and that's the word chat. We're having a chat. We're not having a chat. We're having a conversation. Like, I, if, I, if I was having a chat with you, we'd have met in the local centre and we'd be talking about the, the local GEA club. It's like, it's completely, it wouldn't be organised. It wouldn't be a situation. And this whole thing, like, we're having the chats. No, we're not. We're having a conversation. And a conversation means you have to get something out of that, uh, that other person. You're, you're there for a reason. You're, much as I'd like to kind of like me talk to, you know, uh, uh, Carol of Norsgaard uh, casually or Niall Rogers casually, it's not, they're not casual setups. They're a situation where there's an audience there and, like, I mean, the audience needs to be informed, entertained. It's interesting. You brought up the word psychology. Do you feel like a psychologist sometimes when you're doing these interviews? I have to look up what a psychologist. I have to look up what a psychologist means. Uh, actually, what a psychologist does, and sometimes you do. You're, you're, delving, you're delving deep into what this person is all about, and you're trying to bring certain things out. And like you know, there's 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 some interviews as well. Like you know, you know this. There's some interviews, and they want the, they want the interviewee to cry. You know what I mean? They want the they want the interviewee to cry genuinely, like on, on microphone. You know, and like that's that, that's that's not where I'm going at all. But I, I often find that. By the nature of the questions you're asking, how you're, ans- how you're asking it, how you're letting the person answer the question, that's really, really important. You often bring things out of the people that they didn't expect. And one of the greatest compliments you always get as an interviewer is like, they were strange questions. I've never been asked that before. And like, you know, it's just another, it's another case of just doing your research. I'm a great believer in research. It's like, my God, it's just do the research. You know, it's, 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 you, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing the stuff you get out of it. And like, there's a, there's a great um, uh, English uh, writer called Lynn Barber. She's an amazing interviewer. And she, she wrote a great book about like, I mean, the art of interviewing. And like, she's got all these kind of hints. She said, always look for 
for the X's in other in, in old interviews. And what she means by that is that someone had interviewed the subject matter before and they couldn't get past something and they leave an X. They leave an X in the she leave, they leave an X in the piece. And your job is to spot the X and kind of go, oh, there's something here. Dig some more and leave an X for the next person. And it's just that, that whole art of what it's about. You know, and a lot of that comes up in the research. You know, you find stuff in the research. You kind of go, wow, why wasn't that followed up on? And funny enough about Lynn, she would say that the, she prefers the research and she hates the actual act of having to do the interview, which you would think after doing all that work that you would think that that's the most enjoyable part of it. Journalism, journalism attracts introverts. It really does. It, it attracts people who are really introverted and who are often quite shy and who are very, very good at writing. You know, the art of interviewing is different and you have to, you have to learn it. You really do. I mean, I mean, I'd have considered myself, I, I would have considered myself a fairly okay interviewer up till the time we started banter. I really would. I, I'd have kind of went like, yeah, I'm good. I, I, I can get stuff out of people. Yeah, I can do the job. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of grand. I'm grand. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm a very hard marker so I'd give myself 6.5 out of 10. But when we started banter, it was totally different. I, I, I suppose there's a kind of a, a performance gene that's in all interviewers that comes out then. And when there's an audience there, it's just like, it, 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 does, it does change things because you can, you're listening to the audience as well. Listen to, you listen to the person you're talking to, which listens to the audience as well, just to kind of like mean, get the nuance of what they're about. So like, you, you definitely do improve. But like, you know, it's like, you know, uh, like now I, I, I really enjoy the art of interviewing. I really, I, I really enjoy kind of like I mean, going away, like sitting down, doing the research. Like I always get nervous. We've had banter tonight in, in Wigwam. It's, on, it's, a, it's a panel discussion on the, the news agenda, who sets it, what are the filters they use to set it. And like, I know that they, like I've meeting before the five o'clock with Owen, who we work with on banter. And I know that all during that meeting, I'll be saying to Owen, I'm really nervous. And he'll be just going, you say that every single time. But you have to, like when you're, when you're going to do something like that, you have to get nervous. And like just, 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 just the whole art of interviewing, it does become about like, I mean, psychology, because there's certain tricks you pick up along the way, you know, like when you are doing a public interview, if you're talking to someone who's kind of nervous or there's someone on the panel who's kind of nervous, you do certain things. If, it's, you, if you can, you always say to the guy who's lighting the room, look, the minute we start, just put the bulbs up really high so they can't see the audience because what they have is a fear of seeing the audience. Yeah. That, that's really it. And the other trick is you look, you look deep into their eyes as if you're trying to seduce them. It's like, it's a, it's a very simple trick. You just keep eye contact all the time. And funnily enough, I interviewed Claire Byrne for the podcast last week and Claire was talking about Gay Byrne and that they, even back then when Gay was doing interviews, that he would do things with his body language where he would be very open when a guest would come in, that he'd be open towards the audience and open towards the guest and various different tricks that he did to, to be, maybe coax stuff out of people. Yeah, Could, you, you, you have that. And like, often what they, they are, those tricks are like, probably Gay's, in Gay's case, I mean, I can't speak for him, but there's probably something he had developed over the years and he began to realise this is, how, this is how you do it. I mean, I, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think as you say that, like, have I, have I seen that in other people? You, you, probably, do, you probably do it unknown to yourself, yeah. you know. I, pro- I, probably, I probably do that with people, the way, way you sit. And often it comes down to as well, like, I mean, how, the, how the room is arranged and, like, you know, how, how, what kind of furniture you're using. I mean, we did a, we did a panel discussion recently down in uh, Teeling's Distillery on sponsorship and, I, I, like, the, the way the room was set up was all the chairs were kind of, like, on the same level. So they want, we, 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 there was no stage there. So in order for us to kind of like, it was supposed to be, to, in order that everyone in the room could see us, they put us on flaming four or five, four stools. It was like a Westlife reunion, you know? And that, that like, you know, and then you, I know from kind of like talking to women, for example, that they're not comfortable on those stools because, I mean, like, it, it's, it's just, there's, there's a totally different, there's a total difference as well in gender between how, how people, how interviewees approach interviews. If it's a, if it's a, a, a woman interviewee, she will have done her homework. And like, you know, it's, it's interesting if I ring up someone to appear at a banter if it's a, if it's a guy he looked his diary he's free yeah no problem at all no preparation you get in touch with him a day or two before he's grand no problem at all if it's a woman she wants to know like who else is on the panel what the audience is like what the demographic is the type of questions you're asking uh, what kind of venue it is it's like you know, the whole and it's brilliant because it's like it, it shows it shows a level of preparation that's really really good and like you know 
you just you just learn that thing and like it's 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 funny as well you know, you you begin to realize as well that like they approach they approach what they've got to say in a different way you've got to coax things out of them in a different way funny enough and and, and there's two things um interviewing 101 never pick a venue where they're um, <laughs> basically doing angle grinding you want to try and move over to that side <laughs> i think they'll stop yeah. for now yeah they can stop yeah <laughs> find a venue where somebody's not building a new uh, light uh, transport infrastructure across dublin <laughs> uh, laura parfit who's one of our guests on the podcast a couple of months ago was talking about the presentation of yourself um, that when you are meeting somebody that you almost your dress code as well is also a very very important thing have you ever come across that? Completely I mean normally my, my, my day attire is a bit like yourself I wear a sweatshirt over a pair of jeans yeah. tonight I've got a banter on I'm in town for the afternoon I've got meetings so I'm wearing a shirt and I've got a, a proper pair of trousers on a proper pair, pair of shoes I always this is one thing I've, I've learned with banter you always look smart it's just, just, it's just like it's, it's manners more than anything else there's an audience there there are people you've invited along to discussion look smart and it's just it's, it's, it's very very simple like you know but like you know if I was in, if, if I was kind of coming to town just for just to do an ordinary like interview for the paper I wouldn't I'd just be looking m- myself you know I just kind of feel as like you know in many ways you, it, it's, it's, a, it's an audience thing you know I mean, the audience is there it's very much kind of like a performance in that element so like I mean just look smart you know what I mean shave wash, wash what's left of my hair just let I me mean, look smart you know polish your shoes um, who gets it right? If, if you were to, to look at the people that get it right in this business, who are the people that stand it for you? Graham Norton. Um, Graham Norton. Graham Norton. Graham Norton. Yeah, like, I, I, I don't watch much TV at all. I, I don't like TV. I, I, I just, it's just one of those kind of formats I just don't dig. But I look at how he does that show and he makes what's an incredibly hard thing to do, making three or four extre- high blue chip names feel comfortable on, on a sofa and take his jokes. He makes that seem effortless. I mean, the work of his team to make that work to make it to make it all appear really really good is just like fantastic it really is in terms of Irish political interviews Sean O'Rourke's the man Sean O'Rourke is the man He's the, he is the Don Dada he's like I mean the big dog he really is like he gets his teeth into something like you get a teeth into a juicy steak it's like there's nothing like Sean O'Rourke when he's on fire I mean it's, it's, he's, it's taken him a while to kind of get away from sort of like the, 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 the very the very kind of like high pressure one o'clock slot and move into the kind of like the 10, the 10 a.m. slot and like you know but there was times during the general election campaign when he was just on fire. The interview he did with Jerry, with Jerry Adams definitely cost Sinn Féin three or four seats. It was just, it was, it was forensic. And like, you know, again, another, another, another person you mentioned her there earlier on is Claire Byrne. I mean, and like, I mean, watching her at work these days is just like, wasn't, didn't she, wasn't she involved with like, I mean, light entertainment somewhere along the line? It's all gone because she's just forensic the way she goes, you know. And she also doesn't, she also steers away from that, that this current affairs shtick and that's kind of like, I mean, I will kind of grill you and I will kind of go, so Alan Swan, you completely approve basically of like, I mean, putting kids in jail for the first 12 years of their life and then you kind of, blah, 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 and then he, whatever you say, you'll turn to the other, the other person there's like, there's always a punch and Judy show and you will say to him, well, he says this, you know, that he says, she says, that's sort of like stupid compatible form of, of, of interviewing just doesn't work and I think audiences are fed up with that as well I think that like you know we're, we're, we're talking here today on the day that the latest JLR book will be released and like every single radio producer around the country is probably wondering what, what that'll hold in store for them but I think you know audiences like you know JLR books don't really reflect what audiences think and you know from talking to people that they want to get away from that you know they want something else I really do think I really really believe that audiences want something more than what they've been served up at the moment we have some great personalities and we have some great interviewers but it'd be great 
to see him get more of it, get, get, be allowed more room to roam and also more room as well to roam beyond what they're just about. I mean, I listen to the Miriam O'Callaghan show on a Sunday morning and I, kind of think, I don't think it's the best use of her skills. I really don't. I mean, it's very soft soap. It's almost like she's auditioning for the Auras, you know, but like you know, she's a tougher interviewer than that and like she's got, she's got a wider breadth of, of, of knowledge and she's done banter before and like the stuff, like I mean, she was really, like she surprised us in terms of like, I mean, her willingness to go along with stuff and like, you know, there, there's someone that I think, you know, would, would be better served by a producer who kind of say to her, okay, well, let, let's actually go out and do some stuff. Yeah, she's still, she does the interviews where Leo Varadkar comes out or whatever, but she should be doing that almost like week in, week out. You yeah, know? yeah, because you look at, say, for, because distribution has changed so much now over the last couple of years that, you know, you, you can have a broader canvas and I think there is opportunities for writers and broadcasters. I think we'll go over to the corner. Yeah, there, no problem. One of the great things about these mobile mics is that you can actually walk around the Sherlock Holmes room. Um, like, it's interesting if you look, say you look at someone like Mark Maron who can do an interview in his garage um, for an hour and a half and just bring out the very best. Do you think it's because he's not uh, he's not a, a traditionally trained journalist that he gets that? Yeah, it is because what happens as well is there's, there's not the same sort of fear factor from the interviewee's point of view because you got to remember that like I mean if he's the, the, the certain interviewees he will be talking to and they are media trained. I used to work in a record label and I've media trained arts artists. Like I can't you tell them what to say, what to avoid, how to avoid questions. It's it's a, it's a beautiful skill in itself and like someone who's kind of like game gamekeeper turned poacher like myself can you can you can recognise when when acts are, are 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 media trained you know and someone like him he hasn't got that baggage and also. Let's go back to the very first the very first question, which is like he's curious in a different way. He's curious in the way like the many of the kind of people who listen to that podcast are, in that like they don't necessarily want to know about Barack Obama's position on on, on issue X or Y. They want to know about Barack Obama, the dude, you know, this guy walking around the White House. They want to know what makes him tick. And like I think an awful lot of people as well, an awful lot of interviewers mis- mistake that mistake that kind of notion of how, finding out how someone ticks for taking the kind of the path answers you get back. You know, you got to delve deeper than that. You got to kind of go. Be Go beyond that, and you've also got to like you've also got, and this is where this is where like uh, WTF like like excels. You've got to kind of like I mean find questions that they haven't been asked before. And it's actually a lot easier than you think. You know, it really is because you know sometimes there's a there's a there's a there's a kind of a, a break in your mind, a break in your head that prevents you from asking questions. Sometimes you know you you want to ask those kind of questions, and like I mean I, I love doing it with a live audience because they're there to kind of like you know in many ways they're kind of like they're they're your help in some ways. You know because like if you ask a question that hasn't been asked. Before and you ask a question that's slightly awkward, you know, it's like I mean they will laugh, they will titter, they will kind of a sharp in, 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 in inhaling a breath. Because if you're in a one-to-one situation, uh, you know it's 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 oh it's God. different if you're gonna if you're gonna go there and you have to ask the difficult question. Whereas at least there's a there's a kind of a nod and a wink to the audience that if you're asking that question, you can kind of say, well, "Look, lads, help me out here if, if I'm." But, but if like, this but, is like bomb. Yeah, totally. But then why do so many kind of like of the, of the TV interview shows in Ireland, you know, fail utterly? You know, what I mean, like again, you've got to look at the, is it the, is, is it the structure. Around him because they are good interviewers. When when Ryan Turbley gets a bit between his teeth, when Ray Darcy gets a bit between his teeth, he's really good. But geez, I can't watch Late Late Show or I can't watch like I mean Saturday Night Show because I just find him like I mean just weak, weak. And I think some of it comes down to kind of like you know, not not kind of like accepting or not acknowledging or not wishing to acknowledge the fact that. The audience are quite intelligent. You know, the audience are prepared for the screwball to, for, for screwball questions. You mentioned Gay Byrne there. Back in the day, Gay Byrne would interview all sorts of lunars and head of balls and philosophers and weirdos and poets and all kinds of people on the Late Late Show. And the interviews, I remember well, going on for longer than you'd think. 20, 30 minute interviews were the norm. He just, in fact, in some of the early shows, you can see the guest is smoking. You know, maybe that's what we need to do. Bring back smoking in the in the RT studio. Do the Late Late Show in a pub. Yeah, but they, tried, they did that with Nighthawks as well. But that, again, it was, it was kind of like a, f- a format. 
much. You know what I mean? It's like I I I I do think that like you know that I, I'm I'm like, anytime I'm approached by anyone pitching for look we we think we'd like to do something bigger with banter and maybe a TV show. I'm not interested. I'm just not interested unless I say yeah no problem. It'll just be me talking to a guy, nothing else for an hour. You know, and like I've no hair, so it's like you know that that, that like you know that, that take, make of make of that what you will. It doesn't work because what's happened is that what, how we see TV and what we want from TV has totally changed. I mean, like in many ways, we, we said there about setting it in a pub. I'm I'm thinking about two radical RT programs which featured kind of like I mean not exactly natural interviewers, and they did great stuff, which is Nighthawks and TV Gaga, TV Gaga with uh, Lee Mackey, and there was a, a a female host as well who I can't remember the name of. She's American, and like you know, again, it was it was it was on late night on a Thursday night and like they were it was it was really interesting because you two unusual non-traditional interviewers and they were getting they were getting good stuff out of the guests because the irony of it all is you look at a company like Facebook who are putting everything now into Facebook live and um, because they they see the value of live they see the value of the unknown and what might happen in a live situation. Yeah, but at the same time, I like, I like, I mean, I look at kind of Facebook and kind of go, did they really want live, 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 live? Or is it a case that they want control live? You know, it's like, I mean, sometimes, sometimes like, I mean, you, you look at these brands and they embrace certain concepts, but really there's a marketing team there kind of like making sure everything is scripted to the nth degree. Yeah. I, I just, what, I, what I've kind of found over the last couple of years is just that there's, there's people have a real appetite for events. You know, I mean, we started Banter in 2009 and it's, it's kind of like we've kept going and it, we've done 130 five or so events right now and it's like it's great and you pull in an audience who are really who are again to use that word curious who are inquisitive and like you know we like you know, we've kind of found that the audience we're pulling in is much younger than we expected you know really much younger way more engaged than we ever expected and they're interested in the heavy subjects like we've done three three bands this year one was on Syria one was on the general election campaign and one was on the Dublin accent and like the crowd we, the audience we get were like smart and turned on and there were good numbers and you're kind of going to yourself like okay there, there is a there is a number of people here who are interested who are interested in this. They're young, they, they, the audience is either very very young or kind of older because they're the people who go out. You know, people in their thirties and forties have kids and they don't, they don't go out anymore. So you get twenty something to you get the kind of older people because they've got time in their hands and like they're interested in kind of weighty topics and they're interested in kind of like I mean the heavy issues done in a different way. I mean, I won't for a minute kind of say that I, I, I I'm a, I'm a kind of like a current affairs or political heavyweight. I'm far from it, but I'm curious and like I'm, I'm really inquisitive and I will ask questions that may maybe the panel have been asked before and make them think in different ways. Yeah, and it brings us back to, you were talking about the master, Lynn Barber, talking about asking the questions that, and Gabriel was the same. Uh, you know, you can imagine the person at home watching the TV and they're screaming the question at the television. They're screaming that question at the radio and the best ones almost telepathically hear those questions and go, that's what's in the zeitgeist. That's what, what people want to ask. Yeah, but the thing the thing is, Alan, though, is like, I mean, the, the zeitgeist is still kind of like sending out those mega waves of, with those questions. But the interviewers are ignoring them because it's like in many ways, we, we almost have come to PC. You know, PC is the wrong word. No, that's the wrong word, Jim. It's like too, I don't know, standardized. It, it, they're just too conformist. conformist. There's, there's, there's a feeling that this is the narrative and you follow the narrative, you know. And like, some, like you know, there, there's times you hear about interviews and I'll go back and watch it and it will be kind of car crash stuff. And you're kind of going like, you could have done so much better you know there's a Pat Kinney interview with uh, Pete Doherty from the Libertines that, from the Late Late Show a good few years ago that stands tall it was just like a total mismatch but you put Gay Byrne in there and you put him interviewing Pete Doherty and it's a totally different kettle of fish because as well the great thing about Gay Byrne was definitely when he was on air was that everyone thought they knew him 
But no one really knew him. The job of an interviewer is very simple. The job of an interviewer is to get out of the way of the conversation as fast as you possibly can. I mean, I, like I, I did some interviews down at, at the Court Literary Festival in Galway at the weekend, and the, the first one was with uh, the Donald Ryan, the, the Tipperary author, and Charles Bock, this great American writer that no one really knows here at all. And like I knew within, it's very funny. I knew within. Someone says to me in the audience that happens so fast. It's like I knew within three questions that it was all going fine. So I use an iPad for my my because I'm all, I because I'm, I'm always researching up. To last minute yeah. so I can't get print questions printed out so I, I use an iPad when I'm interviewing people I just close the iPad and put it away because I didn't need my questions they were having a conversation and like I me, mean, when that happens it's just glorious it's like it's, you, you're, you're freewheeling then you're freestyling you're just going for it because it's going to be a conversation in the it's true flow. sense it's yeah. flow yeah totally um, listen thank you for your time and no I won't keep you much longer because I know you're getting ready for said uh, banter <laughs> later on um, do, you, do you have any stock questions that you always turn to that you know will always help you out in terms of getting the conversation going or getting you into a sticky situation or just, you know, that you've got like five that you kind of go, I always have them. No, no. I mean, I, I always, I, what I always do say with kind of like, you know, if it's a, if it's a live situation, you, you always ask the person, like, they're, like I mean, to, to say something about themselves. Where, like, you know, for example, tonight I'm interviewing three uh, news editors. So I'll be kind of saying to them, like, how did they get to start in journalism and how did, what, what were they doing before they ended up in their current positions? That has kind of like certain advantages. One, it kind of like gives their CVs to the audience. Two, it kind of saves you doing an introduction and realizing you missed out on something. And three, it gets their throats warmed up. It's a very simple thing. It's like you know they're in a, they're in a room. They may they may not may not be nervous. They may be nervous. They may be fronting. They may not be fronting. But when they start to talk, suddenly they realise this is fine. And then they start grabbing the microphone. They want to talk. And you know your own story. You know where you came from. So it's something that you're very comfortable yeah, with. Yeah. So yeah. And like in terms of getting out of, of tight corners, every interview differs. I I I can't think of anything. It used to be the case of it just became such a cliche. Um, uh, it's really, it's really funny. Uh, it used to be a cliche. It's like I mean, say if you're interviewing kind of like you. So so what's next? And what's the future of whatever business you're in? You know, that that's just like one of those questions. You must be joking. I did a I did a, a series of lectures last week at Leeds College of Music about music business strategy, and uh, I, I, I my notes. Very rough. I had I, I, it was one of those things I agreed to do, and then I was on the plane over. It. What am I supposed to talk yeah, about? Yeah. So it's just I, I all I all I all kind of like I wrote all my notes out, and then one question came up at the, at the end. One of the students asked, like, "So what you see you see as the future?" And I just kind of went, like, like kind of I smiled, and I just kind of said, "Okay, well I, I, I'll show you this my notes." So I opened my, my iPad and I showed my notes, and the last two words on the page, nothing after them, were the future. I think you know you you, you can't predict the future. So it's just one. Of the, I, I suppose I, I'm I'm throwing my own cliche back at myself. You can't predict the future. But one of those questions that if you look at interviews especially with kind of like anyone involved with business I mean Richard Curran does it quite a bit he's, a, he's another great interviewer he's a great interviewer like, like actually I, I was on his show uh, the business on, on uh, RT Radio 1 before Christmas talking about music business and just the way he did the interview and like you know it was like it was just like it was, I was really taken aback he knew, he knew his stuff and like you know okay that's probably down to a good research team as much as him but he, he just the way he asked the questions I was kind of he's, he's a really good interviewer yeah. um, what next for Jim no I won't mess with <laughs> Um, the, the the last couple of questions is: Is there any kind of books that you've come across, or any sort of li- uh, kind of lectures or things that you've heard to help people in our business that you've read? That was really great advice. I, I wish I'd known that. Ooh. Not, not off the top of my head. I, I, I would say that quite, quite honestly. Not off the top. I can't think of anything off the top of my head where I've kind of went. That was great advice. I think the actual the best advice was the advice I was given years ago uh, after doing one or two banter's. And I, I wish I could remember who who gave me the advice. Um, I can't remember who it was, but it was just that 
in order to be a good interviewer, you have to do one thing, really. You have to do one thing and one thing only. Do lots of interviews. You just go out and do them. You just That's how you get good at this. I mean, I was trying to calculate coming in, coming in the bike the other day to do an interview uh, with someone. I was trying to calculate, how many interviews have I done in my life now? It's one of those kind of questions you're, you're thinking. Take, take, off, take your mind off the fact that it's April and your hands are freezing on the handlebars. And like, I, I can't tell you. I mean, every, every interview is different. There's never a time when you can walk into an interview and be blasé about it. You can't because every single interview differs. So I think my, the only advice that matters is... Just do lots of them. Just do lots of them. And like, I, I can't stress the important re- of, importance of research. I really can't. It's like, it's just like, do your research. Everything you want to find out about someone is out there. And everything you, sh- you want to know about someone is contained in that research because there will be stuff in that research that will prompt you about something else. Do your research and do lots of interviews. And like, you know, it's just, it's, 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 it's very simple. I mean, we're, we're, we're really lucky to be able to kind of like, to make our living from talking to people, you know, yeah. and to be asking nosy questions. That's kind of that, that's a, that's a, that's that's all, that's always great. Just ask nosy questions and st- like you know again steering conversations in certain ways. You know, and I, I, there's times when I kind of like I mean look at some interviews I've done. I kind of I, I kind of go to myself like, oh you 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 kind of let that one go. You know, especially especially stuff with the paper. When it's one on one, it's kind of like you know it's a different matter because as you said, you're often in a situation as you, you got to do, do you want to ask that hard question? Do you want to be seen as the person who kind of like asks that's that person about like I me mean, the album that failed? I never I'm I'm not one, I'm not an interview who will ever 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 ask someone about you know their personal life I'm, I've no interest yeah. I've absolutely no interest I've no interest in that which probably rules me out of lots of things but I've just no interest there's been times when I've went off to interview <laughs> there's been times when I've went off to interview people and afterwards they're kind of saying like well did you ask him about her husband or who's her husband and they'll name some actress like whatever I mean it's, it's a private life I'm, I'm just interested in the work my wife does that all the time yeah, 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 yeah. It, I, it, yeah. why would you ask that yeah. well, there's the Daily Mail for that yeah. just yeah. go to the yeah. Daily Mail they'll yeah. do all that yeah. 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 My, my wife thinks it's hilarious because it's like I, I won't read the Daily Mail. I don't read the Daily Mail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't know who these showbiz people are. I rarely watch TV. I won't like like I mean I, I, like most actors to me. I just see them as a role on the screen. I'm a very, I, I always find it very hard. Like that actor looks really familiar. What role have I been before? I just I'm not I'm not I'm not good in the showbiz stuff. And like sometimes you know you've done an interview with someone and like I, like there is some kind of like a showbiz element or whatever. And you haven't asked the question and you hear back from the PR. They really enjoy that that interview. But, but you know because mainly because you never asked the showbiz question. You know. Like that's, that's, as you said, the Daily Mail is good for that. Leave that to them. My final question. Now, you don't have to name names, um, but if you can think back, what's the one question that you should have asked? You don't have to name who it is, but if you just give us the question, people can use their imagination to think about oh, who that person was. Oh, the one question I should have asked. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. The one question I should have asked was, is the story about you... And Prince in Madonna's bedroom, true. And we'll leave it there. Leave Jim it there. Carl, thank you so much no for problem. coming on the show. Thank you very much, Alan. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of The Outer View for RTE Radio 1 Extra. You can find out more about The Outer View at alanswan.com. <laughs>